0: Oh, it always feels better to do one of these after a series win, doesn't it? Doesn't it just fill your heart with some kind of light helium air and and rainbows are across the sky. And it's just like, oh yeah, this is the baseball team I wanted to see. Hi, good morning. This is Phillies therapy. My name is Paul Boyer and the Phillies have won six of their last seven games. They're doing this thing again, Matt Gelb of the athletic, where they're going week to week of just being completely polarizing. But you know what? We're riding the high this time. So we'll go with that. The Phillies beat The Los Angeles Dodgers, two out of three games after sweeping the Detroit Tigers and taking two out of three from the Nationals uh, last weekend. It was their first series win against a team that entered the series at 500 or better since the two game sweep of Toronto, May 9th and 10th. So it had been a while. Yeah. So it had been a while since that had happened, which is nice to get out of the way. The Phillies now go out west where they play the first place Arizona Diamondbacks for four games, followed by three in Oakland against the resurgent Oakland Athletics. But let's bring in Matt. Matt is out in Arizona getting ready to cover this really kind of pivotal series against a, a good or somewhat surprising Arizona Diamondbacks team. Matt, hello. How was your trip out there?
1: <laughs> it was great, Bob. I've been awake since 4:30 local, right? Yeah, is oh, that God. The thir- you know, it's always confusing. They're 3 hours behind here now right now in Phoenix. Yeah. Um Sometimes they're two, sometimes they're three. It's yeah, three I'm taking
0: your word for that, yeah.
1: I mean, I hope I'm right. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're right,
0: too. <laughs> I'm rolling with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, trip is here is fine. I mean, I, I, you know, people don't like to hear, I, I feel like it's like this thing where like, baseball writers complain on Twitter about, you know, traveling and stuff. But uh, I had a, I had a funny moment yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I get to the gate, and, and people who really, really know me know that I love to push it. Like, I, I don't like to get to the airport before I have to be there, like okay. I want to get there, you know, an hour or even like forty-five minutes before because I have pre-check and and, and to, Philadelphia has a great setup for the pre-check. I'm, I'm sure if, if you're a traveler and you're listening to this, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, get to the gate and they're paging me, and you know I've got pretty good status now in American because especially after last year, Phillies <laughs> Phillies went deep in the Phillies went deep in the playoffs. Yeah, like I, I picked up a lot status. of flights. <laughs> okay, I've got some status, and uh, they're paging me, and I'm thinking. Oh man, yeah! Like I'm gonna get upgraded for this flight to Phoenix. Like this is Uh-oh. gonna be great. I'm gonna have an awesome, like, relaxing flight oh, out yeah. west. And I go up the, to the to the gate, and mm-hmm. she hands me a new boarding pass. She said, "Uh, the seat you're sitting in is broken." And I was like, "Oh, okay." And I had a seat. You know, <laughs> it's gonna be it was gonna be a good seat. Like it was an aisle seat, bulkhead. You know, near the very front. Uh-huh. Um, It's gonna be be able to stretch out a little bit. You know.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, She's like, this is the only seat that we have. She gives me a ticket. It's like a middle seat in the back of the plane. Uh-huh. And she's like, I'm sorry. And I, I know it's not her fault. And like, but, uh, yeah, that was like, I was like, I'm like, I'm like strutting up to the desk. Like, Oh yeah, I'm getting upgraded. And here we go. And, uh, no American airlines. I don't know if you, if, if, if you're a flyer, like and you, and you fly frequently, you know, uh, American airlines is like the worst. And in Philadelphia, there really aren't any options anymore because they have a monopoly on the gates mm. and uh, crazy i mean uh i, I actually yeah it, it's i could go i could talk i could do an entire podcast about this ball, but yeah, american <laughs> airlines it's uh it's not great
0: flight therapy so did they say what was wrong with this just that it was broken? they did not yeah the sea was All broken right. that's ominous i don't i don't like that i would like to know details tell me what about it is broken is it just that it doesn't recline is it like what like is this thing that I, I don't when know the pressure goes down like what like, I mean, what I guess I could with? have pushed
1: it. I could have pushed it. But I mean, more I was like, uh, am I going to get anything out of this? You know, because like I'm I'm a jerk and like that's what I'm wondering. I'm like, "Uh, but no, the answer was no, I did not. I still had to pay for the Wi-Fi. They ran out of ice in the middle of the flight.
0: Oh, uh, my. You know,
1: it's like I could go on and on. But like, oh. that's, that's not why we're here. That's not why here. I'm here in Phoenix. Uh, it's nice weather. It's, it should be. Yeah, it should be like a, a good series. Like the Dimebacks, Paul, are... They have, this, they have the best record in the National League. They're tied with the Braves. They're 40 and 25.
0: How about that, huh? That is, look, I, I, I think people expected Arizona to be a little bit better, that they were on the upswing. You know, you look at what they did last year, right, as a, as a team that I think fell short of expectations. You could say that pretty much about any team that goes 74 and 88, but they had some pretty good players on there that you thought, ah, maybe they're closer to a 500 team. Didn't pan out that way. But when they brought up a few interesting guys, some of the younger guys late last year, they're like, oh, okay, I, I think I can see what they're building here. Yeah, and we was, came out here
1: last year, like right uh-huh. around the time when they brought up a lot of those guys, and you can yep. see it, and you're like, oh, this is like this might be something.
0: Yep, yep. And and it 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 took a little bit of figuring out toward the end of the year here, or the end of last year for them, but it's all clicked so far this year. They're 40 and 25. And they're led not only by the rookie of the year front runner in the national league, but somebody who's inserting himself into the MVP conversation in Corbin Carroll. Really good. Um, He's Really, really good. Look, I've, I've had an eye on this guy for, for a little bit now. Um, Look, he has improved demonstrably in just about every single way you can improve year over year from his, his cup of coffee last year. He's, he could be a monster. Which is funny given, you know, he's a little bit diminutive. I say giving hope
1: to short guys <laughs> yeah. like me everywhere. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, he's no, he, he's, you know, you talk about, you hear the term five tool thrown around all the time, but they, yeah, this guy truly does everything. He, he is contact, power, great fielder, fast. He, he's, he's the guy to watch this series. If you're unfamiliar with the Diamondbacks because they're a West Coast team, understandable. Corbin Carroll is the dude. I know they had, Uh, they came through earlier uh, in Philadelphia and maybe you didn't get a chance to catch that series, but uh, you generally out there, if you have the opportunity to watch some late night games this week, Corbin Carroll's your guy to watch. But yeah, back to Arizona, just in general, the Phillies are going to miss Zach Gallen this series, which is nice. That's a point in their favor. Um, And Arizona, if you look at their team numbers on the pitching side, they're kind of middling.
1: Yeah. And that's where they're weak. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they have an outstanding lineup. I mean, it's, Second and run scored in the league, and they do a lot of mm-hmm. things that get on base. They slug, but yeah, the the question about the Diamondbacks is like, do they have enough pitching?
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and that sounds familiar, right? Um, so this this is going to be a tough series, and it's felt like every single West Coast road and trip, been a, and there's
1: been a lot of them so far. Yeah, yeah. What's funny is that after this series, Paul, the Phillies will play. The Phillies only have three games outside of the Eastern time zone. Uh through august after this series so july and august yep, they spend the entire months in the eastern time
0: zone that's that's great it's deserved at this point there's been a lot of travel you know i know that this is something i can't quite quantify i don't have a study in front of me but if it feels like anecdotally with the balanced schedule that things have been maybe even a little bit weirder than normal so far this year You know, there's the whole NL East thing where not playing the Braves and Mets until the end of May came up, which is I still can't quite get over that. But the fact that they've had so much time to go out, well, they already had a trip out to Los Angeles, and they've been to Colorado and San Francisco already, and they started the year in Texas, um, and now they're going out to Arizona and Oakland again for a week. You know, it's going to be nice to have them for multiple reasons, viewership among them, to have them back east and not have to deal with, you know, night. No, and this is something.
1: Yeah. And this is something the players have mentioned, like that Joel, the travel, like is actually how it was front loaded. Like mm-hmm. I've heard numerous guys, uh, you know, make reference to this and it's not, you know, who knows how it's felt overall, like, you know, on the bodies or whatever, but I mean, it definitely, and this is one of those, like, I, I guess this is like one of the like drawbacks of the new schedule, right? Is that you, you do play, Uh, you know, you play every team at least once. And that that means for the, you know, for the coastal teams, that means more trips to the other side of the country. And um, I think it's cool that we, you know, that every team is playing each other. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely some drawback. I mean, they lost, you know, two train trips, essentially New York and Washington, uh, because there's only two trips now. Each of the cities and there used to be three. So um, yeah, I think the way, not just the way the schedule works now overall, but also the way that the, the, the Philly schedule was very, very, front loaded.
0: So I think the, the Phillies pitching has its work cut out for it um, with this lineup. It, there's the potential and Arizona has has tended play hitter friendly over the years. I think it's a little less so, so far this year, but um, this has the potential to be a bit of a, of a gunfight with, you know, two lineups that are doing pretty well right now. You can say that the Phillies lineup is doing well here in June, um, or at least they've gotten off of their, their drought that carried them into the beginning of this month. Trey Turner looking more like himself has helped Nick Castellanos being pretty much the MVP of the lineup so far this year, carrying this team at points, homeward again yesterday, Um, has been a huge help. So of course, now that I've said that we're going to come in, it's going to be a bunch of three, two games, but the, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. the, the larger point, I think, and this goes back to what we were talking about Um, a couple of times about how the National League is really just kind of mediocre. It's really just not very good. You know, you talk about the Oakland Athletics team that the Phillies are going to face on the back end of this trip, having just like swept Milwaukee and they came into it with a 200 winning percentage or something like that. I Look, there are only a couple of teams in the NL that are separating themselves right now. The Atlanta Braves are one, unfortunately, and the other right now is the Diamondbacks, I would say. The yeah, what do you think so of, I'm good. curious, what do
1: you think of the Dodgers? Yeah, what do you think of the Dodgers?
0: The Dodgers are always going to be there just because they have the the Phillies kind of blueprint executed better. Where they have a lot of really good players on the roster and for some reason just hasn't really taken off. And I'm saying that, of course, about a team that's eight games over 500, which is you know still good and better than where the Phillies are at right now. But it feels like they're not playing up to their true talent composition level. You know what I mean? Something about it just feels a little underperforming, even though they have you know Freddie Freeman, an MVP candidate in his own right. You have Will Smith hitting the crap out of the ball. He's you know he might be the best catcher in the league right now. He might take over that that mantle from JT. Um, and the pitching has been interesting. They have the starting pitching problems that the Phillies have too. It's just that the bullpen has been a little bit better. And uh, look, I- I'm rambling a little at this point. I think the Dodgers are a good team. And I think at the end of the year we're probably going to be talking about them as division champs again. But I think Arizona is is more
1: real. What I'm saying is, are you excited for the Dodgers to trade for Corbin Burns?
0: Oh, that's where that was going. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) uh, is there if if there's
1: anywhere where I could bet on that, and I'm not allowed to bet on baseball, and I don't. uh, If I were were a betting man, I would.
0: it's good clarification think, thank you so you think corbin burns over somebody like uh lucas giolito or michael kopech or something like that like an al, yeah. AL burns is better.
1: yeah
0: well yeah well okay fair point
1: i mean the brewers the brewers who just got swept by the a's like are looking for any reason to trade corbin burns this year
0: oh sure just like yeah. just
1: like josh Hader last year very similar yeah. situation
0: yeah that relationship tanked you know over the spring they were talking about you know how Corbin Burns was displeased about how the arbitration process shook out. And you could tell from that point on, it was just like, whoop. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, <laughs> and this is all a roundabout hard. way of us talking about how like the league itself is still sorting out. And here we yes. are on June 12th. And like, I don't know, I mean, the Phillies are 32 and 33. They should be better. Yeah, They have one of the worst run differentials in the league. It's not good. Um, but you can still say that like, I don't know, they're, you know, right about, where they need to be like it's not nothing catastrophic has happened yet like you wish they were in a better spot I think but I don't know I mean like the way the league looks I mean there are teams that have significantly underperformed and I'm looking at the Cardinals and the Mets for example and the Mets mm-hmm. especially you know uh, I, it's crazy to think that the Phillies are now one and a half games above the Mets after being swept yeah. by the Mets you know not two weeks ago so yeah um you know the Marlins I don't I don't know <laughs> Marlins are eight games over 500. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it, it, it's, you look at the overall picture and you're kind of like confused about the league. And then especially you're confused about the Phillies, Paul, because what's the one unit that has been consistent this entire season for the Phillies? The bullpen. The bullpen. And who would have ever thought that we would say that about a Phillies bullpen?
0: Nope. (laughs) It is. It's so funny comparing and contrasting the way this year has started versus the way last year started. And you say Nick Castellanos and the bullpen are carrying this team. And you rewind to early 2022 and you're like, they're doing what? Uh, But it's true. I think a key part of that, um, as all of you, 99.9% of you would agree, is Jose Alvarado, who made his return to the team uh over the weekend um jose is back but doesn't really seem like he's all the way back he made two appearances in the dodger series one on friday one on sunday on friday he walked a guy for the first time that's fine okay you come to expect that struck out too okay that's okay no problems there sure sunday comes along and a little bit of a different story and it's only really worth bringing up because it comes on the back of uh, his first appearance back after a month away, looking eh, a little rusty. And he looks super rusty. He gets one day off in between appearances and comes out on Sunday, ends up getting to 30 pitches, the first 25 or 26 of which were not good. Not good, no. And then he rebounded um, to eventually get out of the inning, thankfully only allowing one run on a ground out. Um, I won't say we're looking to be concerned because that would be reaching a little bit. And we need to see a little bit more bad stuff to really start thinking that way. But Alvarado's back. Connor Brogdon got optioned and, and gave up a home run for Lehigh Valley over the weekend in, in his last appearance too. So there's that. But Alvarado's back. You would hope he would stabilize things a little bit. But then at the same time, there's going to be a bit of flux because Craig Kimbrell was the 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 de facto closer for the last month. Now roles have to be adjusted, you would think, at least a little bit. Matt, what what, what are we looking at here with Alvarado coming back, Brogden going out, the other guys in the bullpen still kind of just floating around in in either bulk roles as Dylan Covey, whose time on the roster is probably limited, somebody like Andrew Vasquez who is improving as time goes on. What What's the state of the bullpen looking like now that Alvarado is back?
1: Are you excited for the bullpen game to be like a late-night West Coast game tonight? Isn't that like a, it's true, like sicko energy,
0: right? Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, the good thing is that Strom is starting it off. So you have a good chance of the innings you're awake for uh, <laughs> looking like the good innings. But Anyway, go on. Uh,
1: I, well, I think a lot of this has to, the, the bullpen talk about roles and stuff has to come back to the central question is like, what do you think of Craig Kimball right now? And so um, I, I'm not sure, but I will say that uh, it's been way better than I thought it would be. And this month, uh, he is averaging ninety six point nine on his fastball. That's great. Which would be the highest average velocity for him on his fastball in more than two years. Wow! Basic, you know, almost the highest in the last like four to five years. The way if I'm looking at this, right? Yeah. Um. And, and I think the numbers aren't necessarily there because he's had some really bad ones. It's the same with Greg Soto, right? Where it's like, yes. he, he's definitely been good, but when he's bad, he's really, really bad. And that's the same <laughs> with Kimbrel. Yeah. Like, and so that has skewed, I think some of their numbers and it's hard when you're a reliever, but, um, you know, I, I think the Kimbrel look has been pretty good. I mean, like he's getting those fastballs up to the top of the zone and above the zone you know, at ninety seven, ninety eight, and yes. and he's landing the curveball for strikes, and and then also pitching, throwing it for chase. So, he he's been really interesting to me, and and of course, this whole thing about Kimbrel over his career is that he pitches better when it's a save. And guess what? Like the uh, numbers don't lie again this year. Like same yep. thing, mm-hmm. you know. And yes, I know I know Sunday was not a save situation. Uh, so maybe that pokes a hole in that like little narrative. But I mean. This year, like, he's, where is he? I'm looking at, I know his, his numbers well, in it's... save situations are
0: Yeah, in two situations...
1: 2.25, and in uh-huh. non-save situations, it's 8.25. Uh-huh. Those are VRAs.
0: Yeah.
1: A lot more walks uh, in the non-save situations. And so uh, when asked, you know, that over the weekend, Rob Thompson, whether he would keep Kimbrell in that closers role, he kind of, He basically said no. I mean, he's like, if there is a matchup where it's righties in the eighth and lefties coming up in the ninth, then Kimbrell will pitch the eighth and Alvarado will pitch the ninth. And I I think that's a good I do think that's the right way to look at it, don't you?
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, I've always been a fan of that. It's hard to ignore a guy who for basically his whole career, with a couple of small exceptions, has performed like you were mentioning, maybe not as extreme, but he's definitely something is different for him in safe situations versus non-safe situations. I we, I think we can say that at this point. Something is different for him. You hope that your coaching staff and and everybody around the decision makers and, and getting pitchers into games and ready for their appearances gets it through that you can have just as important an appearance in an eighth inning as you can in a ninth inning, sometimes more important. I think our understanding of bullpens and reliever usage and all that has has evolved to that point now where it's more commonly accepted that the save or the three outs in the ninth inning are not always the most important outs of the game. And if you have a better relief matchup presenting itself in an earlier inning, then you take advantage of that and don't leave it because you want to give yourself the best chance of if you're leading preserving that lead as it is and using your weapons to their their highest potency and so if you have a situation like you were just talking about where thompson was presented with that hypothetical if you have guys who are leaning more right-handed and craig kimbrell is you know your guy for that he's he's done fine against lefty uh, the ops is a little high but he's done fine uh then that's what you do if that's what you think your better matchup is deploy him there. And it's on the player to execute in that spot, just as it's on the coaches to get him ready for that. So I'm in favor of it. And I always have been in favor of it. I would like to see that happen. And I would hope it doesn't fall apart because it feels like good process. Yeah. But here's where I would push back is that Kimbrel has been as good
1: as any right-handed pitcher against lefties this year. He's been their best righty against left-handed batters. In fact, he's probably better against lefties than some of their lefties have been. I mean, you know, Greg Soto has been really, really, really good against lefties. I mean, really good. And that's why, you know, you see them, um, you know, there are a lot of questions about why pulling Walker. Um, he probably could have kept going, but like they've been burned the third time to the order with Tywin Walker. And also yeah, Gregory Soto has been tremendous against left-handed batters. And and they, they like the match if they want him to face Freddie Freeman. Um, so <clears throat> this is a long way of me saying, Paul, that like, I actually think that them, keeping Kimbrel as the set closer might be more beneficial right
0: now. Really?
1: I do, because I think it lets them just match up better in the sixth, seventh, and eighth innings. Because if you have one set guy back there, that just means that like you can put Alvarado if you think you really need him in the sixth, you know, for a pocket of lefties and the game is like sort of teetering, maybe, that's when you go to him. And mm. <clears throat> a couple Phillies people who I trust and who are like smarter about this stuff than I am or wondering, like, maybe the new market inefficiency is, like, having a set closer where then
0: oh you can... Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> everything, baseball is cyclical, Paul, right? Everything, oh, my God. Everything everything that was that was cool in the past will be cool again at some No
0: point. way. We're already at that like, point. We're maybe we back. are. I don't know. Oh I don't know if God. they're at
1: that point yet. But I, I do think it's something that oh. is worth monitoring because I... I, I <laughs> You know, you have to – if Kimbrel is – I think it's more about the stuff that we've seen from Kimbrel. It's not not about, oh, he's a traditional closer. He's always done this, so he needs to fill that role. Like, no, Mm -hmm. I think it's more about, like, he's showing the quality of stuff that we haven't seen in a while. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: if he is more comfortable in that role and his stuff is playing up, then, you know, maybe you should just stick to it and not overthink it.
0: May, you know what? Maybe the the cool thing about talking about these things with you on this show is that I always feel like my mind is opened to one thing, uh, a, an episode that I just never really considered. I was not at all prepared to think that traditional closerism is back. <laughs> we're, just, we're just like I don't think it's back. It's back to two thousand eight. No, but I one one point back on on Gregory Soto since we were just talking about him too I pulled up his numbers just to to look at what he had been doing and yes the numbers against left-handed hitters are, are tremendous they're hitting under 100 against him he's a real uh, weapon he is what, and again what, I, and
1: this is me fully acknowledging that there have been times where he has just been awful I mean awful
0: yeah like, but he's it, given it, up
1: he's <laughs> given up you know he's given up but he's given up seventeen, fifteen 15 earned runs this year and uh it's in like 13 of them have come in four
0: games yeah yeah Yeah. like (laughs) like it all comes in bunches um but no one thing i had not noticed is how unbelievable he's been at home in citizens bank park you know samples blah 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 whatever hitters are two for 43 against him in philadelphia he must must love that
1: fast clock
0: he must love that fast two for 43 anyway all right so the bullpen um the The good thing I think about this particular bullpen is that we're noticing that this team had more depth there than I think a lot of us kind of expected going into the season, not just in that you know you can opture Connor Brogden and not feel like something has gone horribly wrong. He's underperformed for sure, but it, you don't feel like it's a disaster. You have Andrew Vasquez, who I, again, I need to continue to eat a little bit of crow, has actually ratcheted up his performance I and mean, he he looks trustworthy slider like,
1: after slider baby all the
0: time man just spam 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 andrew spam. he's he been
1: important for them i mean like he's yeah. just because because you know there's those games where you know you got to have a guy like this on staff where like you need to get two innings in a, in a lopsided game and like he does it
0: he does he does and uh, sir anthony was on a nice little roll coming into the weekend he seems like he's mostly back even though something still doesn't seem totally right he's not as overpowering as he is at his peak he's still fine but then you have the, the Jeff Hoffman discovery and you have, you know, the Luis Ortiz discovery who, even though he was only up for 10 innings was, you know, solid. Yeah. Yeah. That is more depth than I think we were all expecting. You know, Andrew Bellotti has been hurt and he hasn't really been missed. You know, I mean, that's
1: the thing. Yeah. It's like they can, they're in a position where, I mean, let's not forget what Brogdon and Bellotti did for them last year. And then specifically in the world series, they, I noted this the other day. I mean, they, they, did not allow a run in the World Series. They both pitched a lot. They didn't walk about it. They struck out a ton. I mean, these were two yeah. guys that were big pieces of a bullpen that took you to the World Series last year. And you're in a position this year where you still have a really good bullpen and you are in you have the luxury of sending those guys out and letting them see if they can get right at AAA. And both Bellotti and Brogdon have not been great at AAA since they've been sent out. Brogdon's just had one outing. But um, I think sending out Brogdon was a ver- very much a vote of confidence for Junior Marte. Yes. who I think is going to get uh, a, a lot bigger spots here. Uh, I think he's like in the righty pecking order right now. It's Kimbrell, Dominguez, and then Marte. And, Marta. and yeah. yeah, I mean, he was awful to start the year. Um, they sent him out and he made some, some, some pretty good changes, I think. I mean, like he's, uh, you know, since he came back after allowing four runs at Dodger Stadium, he's now you know, seventy two thirds, scoreless five strikeouts, two walks. You'd probably like to see more strikeouts and fewer walks. But he he hasn't he's only given three hits. I mean he hasn't given up an extra base hit um since coming back May twentieth. So uh the stuff is, is is pretty good. Like he passes the eye test obviously. Um, yeah. Oh, so yeah that's yeah. yeah, a it's a it a big vote of confidence I think in Junior Marte and I think you're gonna see him get um big spots bigger bigger spots than Hoffman I think.
0: It it was clear in spring just the way they were talking about this guy and, and 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 everything surrounding him, that there was this belief, right, that that's clearly decision makers and people like there were people within the front office who were staunch Junior Marte advocates. And you could see the spring stuff. Yes. Uh, passing the eye test. Absolutely. Uh, the stuff is gross. It's it moves all over the place. Like he's he's clearly got the goods. But then it was just, it was bad. It, like, you know, half of his appearances, yeah. multi run appearances, and you're just like, Ugh, yeah. I dude, mean, the really beginning of the year
1: was, yeah, it had, he had to, yeah, it had, a, something um, had to Um, But and they made yeah, some changes. He's they did. throwing more strikes. He's throwing more strikes. He hadn't they did.
0: So, and that just goes to the depth thing, right? Like, they, they're able to do something when guys get sent. There's able, they're able to reach these guys on a coachable level where these adjustments seem to stick, right? And maybe I was a little bit guilty of this and giving up on, you know, all right, yeah, Junior Marte, is probably just quad A. I don't really want to see him too much for the rest of the year, blah, blah, blah. I could feel myself thinking that at points, you know, when he was making some of these appearances. But now he's come back, like you said, he's on an eight appearance scoreless streak, looks pretty good doing it. And it's hard not to think that they've got something kind of figured out. And maybe they could apply it to Connor Brogdon now too. And hopefully Andrew Bellotti, who's struggled a little bit more over more appearances. Um, to get them back and viable too, because you know those guys are going to be back up. Yeah, you know I mean, you're going to see Brogdon right. and Bellotti again. So. Right. I mean, this is
1: a snapshot in time where you know Marte and Hoffman and Andrew Velasquez are are more uh, are, are like more trusted complementary pieces. Like you know, yeah. in six weeks could be very different. And we know how bullpens work. We know how Philly's bullpens work. But um, yeah, I mean, they have like the third best bullpen, right? in the sport since like mid April. And I know that's a very arbitrary sample size because the first two weeks were really bad. I mean, like really, really bad. (laughs) So you're eliminating that and you don't, don't just throw that out the window, but for our purposes, we will for a better, better part of baby for for the better part of two months here. um, They've had one of the best bullpens in baseball and uh, it has Mm -hmm. been their most consistent unit.
0: And I think that's why, you know, you go back to the run differential. We were talking about that a little bit earlier. They're, they're 33 in the red. Which has them overperforming their Pythag by three games. Only three teams worse. Yeah. yeah, But you look at that. Right. And you look at that. You're like, yeah. But that's a lot of that has to do with the season opener and April. Like they were, they got their brains beat in fairly regularly and into early May, you know, especially that first Dodgers series. But since then, it really. (laughs) It's <laughs> damning the fake praise. It hasn't been that bad. <laughs> they're not- no, they, they they Paul, they they're in, in a know.
1: very Phillies way. When they lose, like they really lose. I mean oh, it was like yeah. sa- Saturday against the Dodgers. Like probably shouldn't have been. It was closer than a nine nothing game. Um, but you know, when they lose, like and was it nine nothing? I hope I have that right. Uh when they lose, I mean yeah, they I they they really lose. <laughs> and when they win, they, they typically don't win by a lot.
0: <laughs> no, no. They've got the, they've got the Marlins part of the equation figured out with the close wins. It's just, they got (laughs) to, they got to keep the losses a little bit closer to feel a little bit better about that. Um, but no, this team is playing well. And we're not just saying that because they have, you know, a week's worth of games for us to lean back on and say, Hey, we told you so because everybody knows what this team thinks can evaporate that quickly.
1: I still, yeah, I still think like the series they played in Atlanta that they Uh ended up splitting. Yeah. That was like their best series of the year. Yeah, yeah. They should they have won good. three out of four. Like Nola did not pitch well in the opener. And then in the next two games they played really good baseball. Yep. And then the Sunday night game was Kobe. And so like I, right. I I I thought that was like the best series they've played all year. And that might sound weird to hear that, but like I, I thought it was in a place that's tough to play against a team that is quite good, obviously. Um so ever since that series I've kind of been like, yeah. You know, and even and then they followed it up with a Mets sweep and you're like, yeah. But they weren't like blown out in those games and I don't know, they've figured it out since. So I, I the Arizona series is a good testing and, then, you know, beyond Oakland, you know, after Arizona, Oakland, you know, they come home and they, they get the first two home series against the Braves and the Mets. And it's mm-hmm. going to be, should be, should be a lot of
0: fun. It should be a lot of fun. I They're about to hit a real interesting stretch in their schedule where there aren't really a lot of off series. You know, basically every team is either good or contending along with the Phillies where you kind of need to, to take the series. You know, you look at something like the, the Padres series coming up in the middle of July, their first series after the all-star break. And it's like, well, you could expect that the Phillies are probably going to be duking it out with the Padres for a wildcard spot. Both teams have underperformed to this point, but both teams have the talent where you'd have to expect that they would be in the mix. Um, and you just look up and down their schedule for really the next month, you could say the Oakland series has a chance to be three easier games, although they've busted out a winning streak out of nowhere. They have three games against the Nationals in the middle of that. And between that National series and, uh, I don't know, the beginning of August when they play the Royals, there isn't a lot of time to really breathe. So I think the next few weeks, and by few, I mean like five weeks, six weeks, uh, this team needs to keep playing at this high level. It's an important stretch, and they need to keep it up. We need to hope that it's real.
1: They haven't played the Mar. Oh, they only played the Marlins once. That's right. Yes. Like, I don't even remember that series.
0: None they, of us they, remember April. They, at this they lost
1: point. two out of three. Yeah.
0: Of course they did. One of those and won one game,
1: and the only one that they won was against Alcantara.
0: Oh right, when they shellacked him.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The Royals, man, they're they're like sneakily. Bad because everyone's been focusing on the A's and they're uh-huh. like only a game better than the A's right
0: now. Yeah. I don't know but what you need to do, man, but they got yeah, it out. But
1: there's, you're right. I mean, in, in July, there's a lot of Marlins and there's Pirates, and it's like, you know, what do those teams look like by then? And there's Guardians and Orioles. I mean, yeah, there's there's there are some challenges, but I mean, I think what the, it's exciting, what excites the Phillies is that they no longer have to do much travel
0: which should work in their benefit you would hope and they'll need the intangibles
1: although to tell you how much the league was unex- you know did not expect the Phillies to be in the world series last year they scheduled the <laughs> Phillies to finish the first half in Tampa and then Miami um but you know as virtue of winning the national league last year the Phillies coaching staff like Rob Thompson is managing the national league and the whole Phillies coaching staff is going to the all-star game they are going from Miami to Seattle because they're finishing the first half in Miami, and, and typically they would, you know, they, the league would not have scheduled them if they thought they were going to be good. Because they come out with this 2023 schedule well before, you know, the, the 2022 season ends, they would not have scheduled to ha- them to have the longest flight in baseball, which is Miami to Seattle, for the for the staff going to the All Star
0: game. So that that's a that's a fun little point. That's a nice little call out. Yeah, I never would have even looked at that. That's interesting.
1: So, yeah, so the staff is going and maybe Nick Cassianos and maybe Craig Kimbrell as a commissioner's selection is going to go, you know, from Miami to Seattle for the all-star game. But, but beyond that, I mean, the travel really, really gets better for them. I mean, they spend basically the entire month of August at home and quite clearly they play better at home than they do on the road. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not because of the clock because most of the players hate the <laughs> clock, the fast clock at home. And you can read about the yeah, play. It was a fascinating story that I've been tracking for a few weeks now and, uh, finally came to a head and, uh, been hearing from people all across the sport who have noticed the same thing about the phillies clock people from other teams and other french organizations
0: it's very it's very
1: interesting and i don't think the people in philadelphia are doing it wrong in fact i think they're probably really good at their job the clock operators and they've just been operating it the way it's supposed to be operated everywhere else i think it's just kind of been a little lax
0: of course they are that's just these these rules like you gotta there's a huge gray area there's a huge gray area Yes, Uh, it's sort of like, you know, the way replay became about coming off the bag on a slide for, you know, a hair's width for two tenths of a second and the tag being applied and going frame by frame. It's not the same thing here with a with a pitch clock, obviously, but it's like the spirit of some of these things like you do it to increase game time or decrease game times, increase speed, ideally increase some action. But then you have, like you were just saying, that gray area where there's no hard and fast standard between ballparks on how these things should click in. There's a human operating it and a human signaling, you know, when things should be reset or or stopped down on the field. And now we have this. We have <laughs> we have Citizens Bank Park as some kind of outlier. We can't figure out if it's right or wrong, even it just is.
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's, that's interesting because Strom, I, there's a, there's something that Strom said to me and I didn't use it in the story. And he's like, and it speaks to your point, Paul, he's like the clock wasn't put in place so that we have three pitches in 45 seconds. The clock was put in place to, so, you know, speed up play and like, you know, make things a little more, uh, you know, won't eliminate a lot of this inaction, but it's not like supposed to be snap, snap, snap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's exaggerating. Obviously there's not three pitches in 45 seconds, but it does feel like that sometimes.
0: I'm sure it has literally been the case with the faster clock in Philadelphia and Matt Strom continues to give good takes about pace of play. Good for him. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) I've
1: come to, I've come to enjoy my conversations with Matt Strom. He's an interesting guy. Um, I know people have been following his Twitter feuds with various people across uh, the baseball landscape and um, nothing good can come from that, but he's, uh, he's an opinionated guy and, and I enjoy talking to him.
0: No, I, I have no idea that he's been feuding with people. I can't wait to leave Twitter just as an aside. I can't, I can't, I can't <laughs> wait to never have to think about that site again, but for now I'm still on it against my yep. wishes. Anyway, I think that's a good place to end it with that sardonic thought. The Phillies are one game under 500. The magnetism toward 500 baseball is so strong. They just, they can't avoid it. They'll look to reach that mark again with this series. This this pretty important contender-ish series against the Arizona Diamondbacks, four games. Three of them started 940 Eastern, so get the coffee ready. And then hopefully they get a couple of easier ones, you hope, against Oakland. We'll go from there, and we'll see what the Phillies look like next week. Just judging by the way we've been going, uh, the <laughs> this trip might not go so well, so here's, here's hoping they break that... Uh, Pattern up a little bit and, and actually give us a reason to be happy and optimistic for two consecutive weeks. I think that would be a nice concept, just personally. Just throwing that out there, just a suggestion. <laughs> Can I be happy for two straight weeks, please? <laughs> please,
1: can't can't wait to see what this is like Monday morning after in a series of the Oakland A's.
0: Good lord, lord, I don't want to think about it too much. Okay. Go out and do your things, boys. Uh, go read Matt's stuff. That yes, that story on the fast pitch clock in Philadelphia is really—it's very interesting. There's numbers to back it up. It's not just a—it's not just a perception thing. There, there are numbers there. Go, go read Matt's story. Uh, we'll see how this road trip goes. Trips out west are always—I don't know why the word bugaboo came to mind. So I'm going to go with that. They're always a bugaboo. Sure. <laughs> uh, and the quest word uh, have having positive feelings about this team continues for a second straight week i'm rambling in my wrap up the episode ends here thank you everyone so much for tuning in we'll be back with you next week catch you then